it's very valuable, but humans just tend to be so self-deprecating of like, oh, my voice is so bad, or oh, I look terrible that day. Ugh. It's funny, the, the older I get, the less tolerance I have for people who say things like that, because I'll, I'll just be a smart ass and they'll say, oh, I don't like the way I look on video, or I don't like the way I sound. I'll say, well, what do you think uh, the people are thinking who you're talking to? <laughs> right. And the only way to get better is, is to work at it, pick out what you don't like and, and then work on it. Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, the podcast that makes business sexy again. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer with Sales Gravy. And I'm Rachel Fitz, Master Sales Coach with Sales Gravy and Entrepreneur, among other things. <laughs> and speaking of Sales Gravy, woo woo, let's give a shout out to the sponsor of this show. Thank you, Sales Gravy and Jeb Blunt for powering everything we do here. And making us better at everything we do. I mean, honestly, like, and I'm not just blowing smoke, Mr. Blunt, but honestly, I think <laughs> that being a part of being a part of Sales Gravy, uh, even in the small way that I am and the big way that you are, there's just it's a it's an environment of constantly improving ourselves and 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 it perpetually seeking out excellence in everything that we do. And it's just a lot of fun. And you will find that any experience that you have, especially if you get involved at salesgravy.university, you'll see that everything that Sales Gravy does is at the highest level to provide you with an extraordinary experience. Amen to that. And I think when you are a high performer, you should always be, well, if you want to be a high performer, let's say that if you want to be a high performer, you should always be in the mindset of learning and being coachable and being vulnerable and always seeing like a new way to do doing things. And, um, gosh, I just feel like I've learned so much under, uh, Jeb's tutelage. <laughs> well, and sometimes what I've learned with my current coaches is sometimes your initial visceral reaction to coaching or That's suggestions it, yeah. is like, what? I mean, huh? No, 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 no. But then when you really take a step back and and absorb it and digest it and process the information, yeah. most of the time you'll see that it's coming from a place of trying to help you. And even though change is hard, it's it's, it's always good to have somebody from a higher level looking at your, what you're doing and trying to help you grow. Which is another reason why we do this podcast too, is we have like to have guests on the show that can provide a different perspective or their way of doing it. And sales is sales is sales. And at the end of the day, to, in my opinion, it's very much common sense. Um, and a lot of us follow the same ideologies. We just do them in a different way, uh, which gets me excited about having Art Subject on our show today as our guest. And I started talking to you about this, Rachel, earlier. Um, I've followed Art for years, but I had an interaction with him at Outbound where we bumped into each other at the bar. Um, and I did buy him a drink. And uh, I mean, I think that's what got that me always on. Helps. That I, helps. I think that's what helped get me on his show. <laughs> Buy him a drink. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's never really, it's not ever going to hurt to buy someone a drink. Like. No, 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 not at all. So I'm, um, I'm excited about this episode just because he's just the nicest guy um, for one, but full of so much information. Um, and I think we might've made him blush just a little bit. 
<laughs> well, and anybody with, I think he mentioned 37 years of experience in the sales industry is going to have some serious knowledge to share with you. And Art definitely delivers some great tips. Uh, even he, you just mentioned common sense, Gina, and he talks about even ways to use common sense in your smart calling. Yeah. I, there's one thing that he said that, um, that got me, uh, thinking that, that piqued my interest. I think he referred to it as inoculation training, inoculation. We all have to, we, we've all gotten it. We all got the inoculation. We all got the shot. And, um, I think our listeners are going to take a lot away from the importance of constantly, this is my takeaway, the constant need to practice, the constant need to learn and to train. And you don't just get one shot and you're done. That was my aha Mm. from this. My big takeaway was one thing that he says, he talks about rejection on a sales call, that rejection is not actually an experience. It's the way we define an experience. And so he gets into that a little bit and it's really, interesting because I think that's one one hurdle that we all face as salespeople when we are prospecting, especially on the phone, is we worry about that rejection. And Art gives us some tips and tricks to flip the script on rejection. And just a quick bio before we get started with this episode, a little bit about Art Subject and his company, Business by Phone. They've been helping hundreds of thousands of professionals say the right things by phone to get more of what they want. Uh, A little other info about Art. In 2012, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals for his contribution to the profession. And uh, you want to check out his, his, his book, Smart Calling, which hit number one um, on Amazon sales category is the very first day. It was named top sales book of 2010. And of course, he's got a revised second edition out there. So a little bit about art, sit back and enjoy this episode about Smart Calling. Awesome. We are excited to do another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About with our friend, Art Subcheck. Welcome, Art, to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Gina and Rachel. This is an honor and truly a pleasure. And I am excited for what's going to happen here. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but I'm excited. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Rachel, should we give him a like, should we warn him at all? Do you want to warn him all? Should we tell him anything or should we just, we did tell him before we start. Let's, let's just start with this. Art, how would you define a woman your mother warned you about? Oh, do you want the absolute truth on this? Absolute truth. I mean, why lie? Uh, Well, I'll tell you what my mother warned me about. (laughs) She warned me about a woman that that (laughs) I was going to get pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now we're on to something. (laughs) She warned you that you were going to get pregnant? Wait a second, back up. No, that 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 didn't happen back then. Even though I think people <laughs> think so now, but no, no, this was back when I was like in uh, freshman sophomore in high school. And the reason behind that is that I had cousins who had to get married when they were sixteen and seventeen because they got they got their girlfriends pregnant, <laughs> and uh, so that was her absolute worst worry. Bless her heart, <laughs> rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. 
So the war- it sounds like the warning was like, be careful of the girl who's going to get you in trouble for the rest of your life. Yeah, like I didn't have anything to do with do with that, right? <laughs> is that is is that the first time you've had that answer? That is the first time. I kind of <laughs> like it. Well, you know, it it that is one of those things that I think it's super important. And I had a really very candid conversation about sex with my kid. I mean, a couple of years ago, she's 13. And this was a couple of years ago where it was basically like, okay, this is all going to come up. Here's the ways you get pregnant. Here's the ways you don't. I mean, it's important to know because it, it, it changes the whole face of everything. Yeah. And you know, it's a conversation that, that parents didn't used to have with their kids. Like it was just kind of like they, the parents hoped that the kids would learn about it in school, but you know, your mom was right. Like if you knocked some chick up, then you'd be beholden to that child and that woman for the rest of your life. So true. And yeah, we experienced that in, in, in my family with, uh, with cousins and I was raised Catholic and you got married. <laughs> so that, that was that. I'm trying to find a natural tie between this conversation of pregnancy and sales. And I'm, I'm for, for someone who can think on the spot, I, I have nothing. So <laughs> I think we should just we've, transition into sales conversation. We've well, stuck. There's a way. <laughs> there, Rachel, there is you got a way. What? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's important to know the things when you're in a sales conversation that'll get you in trouble, Yay, right? So Art, it. so Art, it seems like your company helps salespeople to know what to say on the phone. And so are there any tips out of the gate that you would tell salespeople like not to do that would get them in trouble immediately? Well, yeah, let's define getting in trouble as now, I guess it's the serious part, kind of getting in trouble would be creating resistance right at the beginning of a call. And that would be simply talking about yourself not having something that's relevant. And this is what I'm all about and have been for a long time. Uh, My flagship book is called Smart Calling, which is defined as let's know something about the people and the organizations and the situations that we're calling into before we call them so that we can have a message that's relevant, which is so important in today's world because we're bombarded, everybody is, especially decision makers, with thousands of messages per day of all forms, and we must ignore most of them, if not all of them, because we're not going to respond to hardly any of them. And the ones we do respond to are the ones that are going to be all about us and what's relevant to us right now. So it still blows my mind that salespeople will just call up and say the same thing to everybody without knowing anything about them. And you guys probably get those calls and emails as well, where somebody wants to get 15 minutes on your calendar, even though they have something that's totally irrelevant to what you might never, ever be interested in. 24 seven. Oh yeah. And the worst, which I actually did, this is, I've told this story before when a salesperson calls up and says, Hey, how are you? And you're like, (laughs) I'm interrupted by you. And I did this. I love so that one of answer. The first, what, one of the the first times that I was, um, when Gina and I, well, Gina had been working for Sales Gravy for a while and I was trying to get Jeb Blunt on the phone about something. And I just randomly called at lunchtime and I'm like, I'll never get him on the phone. Well, he picked up right away and I was so thrown off. I had my whole like 
voicemail framework laid out. And I was so surprised that Jeb picked up that I said, Jeb, how are you? And I went, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's like the and worst. That, it's like what he teaches not to do. And I did it. And I just was like, so embarrassed. What did he say? <laughs> he was very busy and he brushed it off and we moved on. <laughs> <laughs> and had our conversation really quickly but i was so i was like horrified with myself so <laughs> important to important to control your emotions even when you are surprised by someone picking up that you think will never pick up yeah that's rule number one in using the phone in sales don't be surprised if somebody may actually talk to you <laughs> That, I mean, that's that, that's been happening to me a lot lately, and I've been super busy with training and coaching, and then in between, I'm squeezing in prospecting calls or returning calls, and nine times out of 10, people are answering the phone, and I'm like, okay, totally didn't expect them to answer the phone, Even I, and I'm getting totally thrown off, and I'm like, all right, I, and it's not even being surprised by it. I'm like, I needed to budget more time. Like, if I only have a 15-minute window, I really shouldn't try to... No, I should just assume they're going to answer. And that, like, I had to change my mindset and be like, assume they're answering the phone. Gina, wait a minute, time out. I read on LinkedIn that nobody answers their phone anymore. Oh, I think I read that too. Yeah. yeah. I think, crazy? well, in a text messaging, instant messaging, Instagram world, people don't call each other that much. And especially like the millennial generation and Gen Z, they don't call each other as often as they text each other. So when somebody calls nowadays, people are actually more apt to pick up, it seems like. Yeah, it's kind of funny because like in workshops, I'll hold this phone up and I'll say, you know, you can actually talk on these things. <laughs> <laughs> you could actually hear a voice. Well, it's funny that that you say that, Rachel, about the Gen Y and the Gen Z. I mean, I, I don't want to age myself, but I'm not Gen Y or Gen Z. And they are picking up the phone when I call them. So I, I think there might be some uh, people are just getting inundated with the social media aspect of everything, especially since COVID. And people, I think, want to have a conversation. So like, are you, you tongue in cheek at, you know, saying, oh, I heard on LinkedIn, nobody's answering. People want to talk to people because they're getting tired of, I personally am like, I tell clients and prospects, I'm like, either call me or text me because I, I don't have time to read your email. Yeah. There's too many I, emails. And I mean, I don't want to indict an entire generation because <laughs> I do know of millennials that are awesome at using the phone and in, in sales and the prospecting process. But of course, there there are. I, I think it's an individual thing. But yeah, probably more so, especially when you maybe even the, I was around some teenagers here last week. And I was just astounded how they were just like this when they're at a table full of adults and their nose is buried in the phone as opposed to engaging with the people who are around them. It's like, hey, you have a real person here in front of you. How about if we we talk? So it's not just a, you know, on the phone thing. It's just communicating in general. And I've long said, I mean, for years and years that if I ran a, a university or a college, there would be speaking skills as part of every class, even if it's a math or accounting class. Because if you if you look at the skills that are most important to us in any type of job, it's communicating. 
You know, you hit on such an interesting point. This gave me a little bit of a a flashback because you're talking about teenagers, right? And not necessarily salespeople. But this, I think, goes hand in hand. Uh, I I think having been around a teenage boy a lot lately um, and learning quite a bit about teenage boys, I think some of it is like educating them and mentoring and teaching them to get off their phones. So I think there's some level of that. I'm not a parent, but sometimes I play one on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with um, salespeople and sales leadership to be teaching people to pick up the phone and answer the phone. What do you think of that, Art? Well, it always amazes me when I talk to sales managers or, or leaders and they'll call and they'll inquire about training and they'll complain that, boy, my people just don't want to get on the phone. They're not making phone calls. They'd rather email. They, they would rather text. And therein lies the problem because I'll just flat out ask them, who's running this operation? <laughs> I mean, you're letting them do what they want. Weren't they hired to actually speak to people? I mean, that's how you sell, right? I understand social media and email and texting and, and all these things, but these are all tools ultimately that should the, the goal should be to engage somebody in a conversation. And if, uh, and, and again, all these bad calls that I receive and I make fun of them and I'm known for reporting them and putting them up online and, and critiquing them. But uh, I, I mean, ultimately it, it has to start at the top. And, and I know you guys see this as well. And the very best organizations are sales organizations. They're not product or service organizations. And then they have that sales culture. And that means that in addition to the product training, they have uh, sales training, not once. I call, the, I call it the inoculation. Vaccine's popular today, right? I call it the inoculation or vaccine method of training. I've had it. <laughs> I had it once. And uh, the best organizations do it continually. And as part of that, it's uh, it, it's coaching and listening to calls and reviewing the calls. And that's just part of the job description. And then sometimes managers will say, oh, geez, you know, my people don't like to uh, have their calls listened to. And, and again, who's running the asylum here? So what advice, right. what advice do you have for those, for those sales leaders? Because we do have to trace it back sometimes if we have poor performance from a sales team, whose fault is it really? And how do we get those sales leaders to step up? Yeah, it's like the chicken or the egg thing. And, and I'll tell them, I'll say, this, this has to be there. This has to come first. And it has to be a condition of the job that, number one, you're making phone calls. Uh, number two, we're going to record your phone calls. We're going to coach you on your phone calls. And we're not doing it to try to catch you doing something wrong. We're doing it so that you can get better. Uh, and, and I've been on the other side of that where it was done in the wrong way. My first corporate sales position was with the old AT&T way back in the day. And and uh, the, the supervisors had to do call monitoring. And we always knew when they were doing it because they would go into the room with their <laughs> stack of sheets, their monitoring sheets. And then when, when we would see them go in there, we knew, of course, that somebody was going to be monitored. So, of course, then we would be on our best behavior and, and do the things we're supposed to be doing. And, and, and then they would bring you in and you'd have this score sheet and you, you would have to hit all of the points on, on the call, which, again, is a problem with organizations sometimes I see because they're, they're going to grade them on certain things and people will hit the points 
but they're not actually having a conversational mm. call. They're doing the things like, okay, I'm building rapport. I'm asking these questions. Uh, I'm, I'm closing. <laughs> and, but yet they're, they're, I mean, it's, it's robotic and they're following a robotic process as opposed to a conversational process. Well, let's, let's, let's segue over and switch over to that. Cause you know how I personally feel about having an organic fluid conversation from an improv perspective what is your advice on how people can get less robotic and more human in their conversations? By doing it more and getting more knowledge and, and practicing. We could bring up the, the topic of the S word, script. And normally when you mention the word script, you know, people, their faces tighten up and they go, ooh, script, it's not me. It's not natural. It's conversation. It's not conversational. It's canned. But if, and I always like to point out, have you been to a movie recently? Have you watched a show on Netflix? Don't you think every single word that they're uttering is scripted? Yeah, absolutely. But does it sound like it? No, because they are, are so good at making it sound conversational that it, it doesn't seem like it's scripted. Now, with that being said, we can't script out the entire business-to-business consultative call because, well, customers and prospects don't have the script. So, yeah, I've tried to send it to them. They just don't follow <laughs> <laughs> But if if you look at the best salespeople you've ever been around, I would argue that everything they say, as conversational as it might be, is scripted because they know where they're going to go based on what they're hearing. And I mean, even in improv, I I know you're, you're responding off the cuff to what somebody's saying. But somebody has never, ever done improv before isn't going to be as good as somebody like you because you know in certain situations what what you're going to pivot to and and what you're going to say. And the same thing is true with salespeople. So when I get an objection, I'm going to uh, I'm going to soften it and say, I I understand. I see. Oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. And then I know I'm going to ask another question. And based on whatever objection I'm hearing, I've got a a whole vault of questions that I might be choosing from. But it's going to sound like the first time I ever said it. But yet, up here, it's scripted because I've done it so many times. And uh, I mean, the thing about sales is that the more you do it, I mean, it's a performance sport, right? I mean, I'm speaking to the choir here. The more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. So what, what advice do I have to sales leaders? Train constantly, role play, coach, um, work with salespeople, and also have them not be afraid of saying the wrong thing or sounding what they think might be stupid or getting a no. That's all part of the game. And um, I mean, I'm a golfer. Before you golf in the 80s, you got to golf in the 90s. Before you golf in the 70s, you got to go go through the 80s. And um, and, and Rachel, I know you're 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 an athlete and you coach uh, dancers, right? And I mean, same thing. So all those things come into play and it, and you guys probably get these questions too. I mean, I probably have one sitting in my inbox. What's that one, what's that one voicemail that I can use that's going to get responses or how do I get people to get interested? It's like, there's an easy button. Boy, if you find it, let me know because I could probably sell it for a lot of money. <laughs> and now a word from our fabulous sponsor, Jeb Blunt at Sales Gravy. 
Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. There's a reason why thousands of sales professionals and top companies across the globe hone their sales skills at SalesGrave University. You see, SalesGrave University is different than most learning platforms. First, we have live courses taught in a virtual classroom by our master trainers that start almost every single day. And our e-learning platform is populated with hundreds of hours of sales training content produced by some of the top sales trainers in the world, including Gina's spontaneous selling course, which is worth checking out. Now, I've got some good news. If you've never taken a course on SalesGrave University, if you're a new user, you can take your very first course for free. That's any course on the platform, absolutely free. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com or click the e-learning tab in the top menu at salesgravy.com. Pick out your course. And when you check out, use coupon code free course to get that course for free. That is free course to get your very first course for free. Speaking of Sales Gravy University, go check out salesgravy.university and see some of the courses that I'm teaching. Just scroll through the university and click on them and you will find me and sign up. I'd love to have you there. Well, yeah, when you were speaking, Art, I was thinking about the when you were talking about recording and listening to calls and being monitored and all that stuff um we use that a lot in in performer performance and showbiz and dancers because um it's you know when you can look back at video especially you can see really what's going on and the same in recording a phone call and listening back to it even the most seasoned performers like myself, I hate to see myself on video like, because you just pick out all the stuff that you did wrong, right? When you hear your own voice in a recording on a sales call, you just go, oh, my voice. But the thing about it is that once you start doing it more and more often, then you get used to, you get used to it, you get over yourself, and then you're able to really, really grow and learn because you can pick out the places where there's there's room for improvement. And it, it's, it's just like you said, the habit is formed by just doing it over and over again to improve your actual process. But also it, it gets easier and easier to swallow, if you will, hearing yourself in a recording, seeing yourself on a, a recorded video and not just being so uncomfortable with that and then being able to use it as a tool. And then you kind of get excited about seeing the the video or see, hearing the recording because then you can improve even more by leaps and bounds. So it's, it's also a practice. It's very valuable, but humans just tend to be so self-deprecating of like, oh, my voice is so bad or, oh, I look terrible that day. Ugh. But once you get past that emotional part, and get to the nuts and bolts of what you're actually trying to achieve, then it is just so helpful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it, it's funny, the the older I get, the less tolerance I have for people who say things like that, because I'll, I'll just be a smart ass and they'll say, oh, I don't like the way I look on video, or I don't like the way I sound. I'll say, well, what do you think uh, the people are thinking who you're talking to? Right. <laughs> and the only way to get better is is to work at it, pick out what you don't like and, and then work on it. That's exactly, better. That, that's exactly what I say when someone's like, I don't like the way I look on video. I'm like, well, here's a spoiler alert. That's how you look. Yeah. If you don't like it, you might want to <laughs> do a makeover. Yeah. So if you think you look bad, then work on it. But it's I'm, an opportunity. Yeah. It's a, it's, that's how you look. That's how you sound. So just stop looking at yourself. 
on camera when, especially if you're don't, don't look at yourself. Like there are times I don't want to watch myself on video. I just listen. I'm like, okay, did I hit all the points? All right. I didn't want to watch. Right. I, it took me a long time to get used to hearing my voice on a podcast. Well, here's a, a great story about the sound of your own voice. So I went to, um, this was when I was in real estate and I was coaching with the Tom Ferry organization. And I went to this conference and they were talking about your phone voice and you know how people sometimes put on this, hi, my name is so-and-so and it, and it sounds fake. It doesn't sound like you. And what we were looking at is the different tones of voices. Some people do have a naturally higher pitch voice. Some people have a medium voice. When I get on the phone, I actually have a really kind of a low voice. And so I was the example of the low tone voice. And so I stood up and was like, hello, my name is Rachel. And like, and all the rest of the day, I was the sexy voice girl. And since then, I, I was like, oh, my natural voice does sound better than the high pitch fake voice that I've been trying to use. And it's actually more effective because it sounds more like me and it pulls you in and it really is effective. And so once that was pointed out that my actual natural voice is the best voice for me and it's special and people comment on it all the time of like, wow, you got to have a sexy phone voice. And I'm like, I know, but like <laughs> you, you sometimes are trying too hard to be something that you're not and you just have to be yourself. And that way, like the person on the other end of the phone can tell when you're being fake. They don't know what it is. They can't put their finger on it, but they know when you're faking it. Yeah. So many people have what I call corporate voice. Then they have regular natural voice right. and i mean i've got pretty simple advice for 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 people using the phone and that is talk like you're speaking to a friend not overly casual you know bro but <laughs> but making it natural quick story here for you i was doing uh, some training for an organization a number of years ago and i'm listening to calls like i do before i, I do the training and I was multitasking. I had some calls on and, and this, this woman just sounded like, again, corporate voice. Hello, this is Mary Within. And I'd like to talk to you about our new Microsoft training. And so several calls went like that. And then I'm listening, half listening to a call and I'm thinking, whoa, wait a minute. This sounds like a totally different person. But as it turns out, she was talking to a friend within the organization. So it was a personal call. And I thought, well, I probably shouldn't be listening to this, but I did. And <laughs> <laughs> so here's what she was saying. She goes, oh, yeah, this guy, this new guy at my gym, he is so hot. I always make sure I get on the treadmill behind him. And I just watch him run. Oh, my God. So then, I mean, my gosh, I mean, I don't even smoke. And I wanted a cigarette after hearing that. <laughs> so then she gets on her next call. And she goes, hi, this is Mary with ABC Company. I want to talk to you about our Microsoft training. It's like, well, wait a minute. Where was the other person? So I mean, that was a great example. Oh, my of, gosh. You know, it just wasn't there. Wasn't themselves. Okay, now I need to know, Art. Did you did you tell her that you listened to the personal call? I don't believe so. No. Oh man, what? Like, I was wondering if you coached her on being more that person than her stiff self. Uh, I, I I did go to her gym though the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, and you hear that a lot in. I mean, in the world of woo-woo, as well as in the world of sales, to be more yourself. So 
Art, what would be your advice um, to someone who has a little bit of self-awareness that they are using that, quote, corporate voice that you're talking about and how to just be more their their natural self? Like, how do, how do you get out of that? Because people get so nervous on the phone sometimes. Yeah. And actually, let me back up here because, again, on LinkedIn or other places, I'll see people say things like, oh, don't use a script. You don't prepare. Just you know, be yourself. Be natural. And, and to me, that that's the worst advice that anybody could have as it relates to being prepared for what you're going to say before you say it. Uh, again, one of my favorite sayings is the absolute worst time to think of what you're going to say is when it's leaving your mouth in sales. So if, if I have the opportunity to prepare and to script out what I'm going to say, and there are a couple points in a phone call when we can do that, of course, the the opening, because most people still answer the phone with some variation of hello, right? And and certainly the voicemail. Uh, so we can be totally prepared for what we're going to say there. And to, to get back to your question, which is how, how, how can somebody become more natural? Well, uh, I mean, sit down for this because this is going to blow your mind. You are sitting down. Yep. And that is practice, drill it, practice, do it, review it, keep doing it. Because how are we going to get better at anything except by doing it, right? And natural anxiety and um, maybe some fear is, is going to be there for a lot of people, but it's impossible for us to continue that feeling when we're engaged in activity, right? Because the things that we worry about the most normally don't happen. And I'll, I'll ask audiences, what's the absolute worst thing that has ever happened to you on a phone call? And people start sharing some things and then we laugh about it. I go, okay, you know what? It's, it's just a thing. It's so what? It's something that happened to you. And my whole thing on rejection is that nobody can reject you unless you allow yourself to feel rejected as a result of the experience. Because rejection is not an experience. It's the way you define an experience. Mm -hmm. And we have total control over the stories that we tell ourselves based on what happens to us. So if we have control over that, why would I tell myself a negative story? Because if you continually say, I got rejected on that call, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to avoid the activity that's causing us to have that feeling. Yeah. I mean, it's like saying at the end of the day, I suck. And if you keep telling yourself that, you're going to believe it eventually. So if somebody says, oh, I got rejection, it's just part of sales. No, it's not. Experiences are part of sales. No's are part of sales. But the story you tell yourself yeah. is 100% in your control. It's the, it's the mindset. You know, when I ran a theater, when I had an improv theater and I had improv performers, and even though we improvise, we do have frameworks within improv. So it's not like, I, I think a lot of people think that we're completely making it up. We are within a framework. What I always found interesting with my performers when they would get whiny about something, and usually they would get whiny about hearing the same suggestions from the audience. So for someone new to improv who's never seen a show, we take an audience, a suggestion from the audience, we fit it into a framework, and then we perform based on that. So a lot of times we would ask for, uh, we need a suggestion of um, an activity you would do on vacation. Uh, because we're in a tourist destination. And and nine times out of 10, the first suggestion from the audience would be parasailing constantly. And so 
we know that nine times out of 10, we're going to get parasailing as a suggestion. It's like preparing for an objection. You know what's coming. And so what would happen at the end of the show is they would, we'd have a debrief at the end of a show and they're like, just so tired of the parasailing suggestion. I'm like, own it. You know, it's coming. It's their first time saying it to you. It's the hundredth time you heard it by now. You should be so creative with this suggestion because you know, it's coming. This is easy. And then, then the other piece of it is when people are like, I'm like, oh, we have an improv practice. You have an improv practice. How do you practice improv? We have to. We have to practice the framework constantly. That's why we look so good at it. It amazes me they would whine about that because it seems to me that if you get it over and over, that's a chance to come up with better responses to make it funnier. Yes. <laughs> yes. But don't we do Jimmy. that as salespeople too? Yeah. I mean, they complained about price. They always complain about price. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. It gives you the opportunity to prepare for it so you can sound more natural every time you get it and not yeah. have to search and go, oh. Yeah. I really I wrote down what you just said. Rejection is not an experience. It's the way we interpret. I think you said we interpret an experience. Yeah, we define, define an experience. Interpret. The way we define an experience. And it's it's so true because it's so all in in our heads, if someone rejects us or says no, but it's, it's always an opportunity to follow up with the person and say, Hey, it's a, maybe it's a not now and it's not, but, but yet salespeople, especially ones that are just so concerned with closing the deal right then, instead of looking at the possibility that it could close later, like Gina and I just talked about it the other day on a podcast that Sometimes we throw away something we think is done, but just the people are not ready at that moment. And then they'll call you back and they're ready to, they're ready to sign and get it inked. And it's just a matter of how you, how you define that moment. Well, I mean, look at it. Every single experience should be a learning experience. And, and here's a shock to some salespeople. Hey, we're not going to sell all of them. In many cases, it's just not a fit or, or maybe not now, or maybe we didn't do a good enough job. So after every call, I always suggest we ask ourselves a couple questions. One is, what did I like about what I did there? Because what gets rewarded gets repeated, even if we're doing it ourselves, right? And then the second one is, what could I have done differently or what will I do differently next time? And mm -hmm. if you can answer that question, you got to win on that call because we can learn. And if, if we got tripped up by something, uh, let's find out why. And then let's come up with the answer for next time or a different question that we're going to ask. And therein lies the problem with a lot of salespeople. They get off the call and go, oh, I got to know I got rejected next, as opposed to, okay, what can I do? What can I change? Because it's likely something that we caused. I mean, salespeople create more objections than we're ever there by talking too much and talking about things that are not relevant to the other person. And if, if they just get out of that mindset and instead, uh, I mean, personally, I'm paranoid about talking about what I can do until I know completely how I could help the other person. So what yeah. has to come first? Well, obviously, the, the research even before the call and then the questioning to identify what is it that I might be able to help them with. You know, I'm going to share a little story Um I'll be a little transparent of some things that I've le recently learned and I have been coached on. And, you know, Rachel had, had said 
that's what triggered the idea when she's like, you know, we realize maybe it's not a good fit. And so maybe it's not a, it's a not now, but it's a later. And I'm going to, I'm going to layer to that because I think sometimes as salespeople, it's easy for us to also use that as a story we tell ourselves. Well, it just, it wasn't a good fit for them. And I share this because I was recently schooled on this (laughs) very well about a conversion problem I was having. And the conversion problem was I wasn't helping really walk that prospect through a journey and help them revisit what their goals were and get them back into a place of out of fear to make a decision. And it was very easy for me to be like, well, they're just not ready right now. Maybe they'll be ready later. And it was my fault that I did not bring them through the journey. And then as soon as I learned this, got schooled on it, reevaluated it, and then put in a new discovery process in place, boom, all of a sudden I was like, got my mojo back and started closing again. Greatest way to sell is to help people buy and help them sell themselves, right? And yeah, I no, I agree. If somebody early on without going through the whole process says, oh, it's not a fit. Yeah, it's not a fit because you, you have no idea what the hell they're interested in, what they do, what their needs or pains or problems are. And, and the great thing also about taking them through that process is now you're putting them in a frame of mind where they're thinking about the the problem or the pain or their desire. And once they get into that frame of mind, then it becomes much easier to make your recommendation because now they're already nodding their head as opposed to shaking their head. Especially, and this is especially important for for our listeners, this is especially important when they raise their hand and they come to you. And this is not cold prospecting. This is when they come to you, interested in you, and then then you decide they're not a good fit and they decide they're not a good fit, but they're really, they're just scared. So this is, I think, even more prevalent if, it, if it's someone raising, raising their hand from an inbound perspective. Yeah, it's, it's so funny on inbound calls. Sometimes sales reps are so excited because they have the inbound lead and then they just start puking all over themselves <laughs> talking about what they have. I, I had a, a VP of sales contact me and, and I mean, she was, I mean, very cold. And I answered the phone, business by phone, this is art. And she goes, yeah, this is so-and-so with ABC company. And, uh, and I've, heard, I've heard about you and uh, we're looking to do some sales training. So tell me, why should I hire you? I mean, kind of in that tone of voice, actually probably a little bit more gruff. And I said, I, said, I have no idea. Why'd you call me? <laughs> <laughs> and she spent about the next half hour telling me <laughs> why. And I, I was just prompting her and listening. And, and then she, she loosened up and uh, we, we wound up doing some business. So, yeah, I mean, let people talk. That's, that's, I think, the biggest thing in sales. Let people talk. And it's probably one of the hardest things for newer salespeople to do because they feel like they just have to get out all these things that they know as opposed to, again, asking the questions. I mean, listening with the intent of understanding as opposed to just waiting your turn to talk again. Mm. Well, before we start heading into our signature questions, I've got one more question for you. And then maybe Rachel does, or she'll head straight to our famous questions. But before we, before we move on, are there any other tips that you can give our listeners on? I'm going to specifically hit on something in your bio about 
Uh, your reputation has been built on providing common sense, non-salesy, non-gimmicky, conversational methods. Um, any, a couple suggestions that you can give our listeners on how to have, <laughs> this is a hard one, how to have more common sense, be non-salesy, and be non-gimmicky. Well, I would say forget about the, the, the salesy techniques and things that have been passed along over generations, such as you need to overcome objections with these rebuttals and you need to memorize these particular closes. And because buyers can see techniques coming a, a mile away. And I, I believe one of the reasons I've had such a long career is that it's refreshing when people hear training that is comprised of the way that people actually talk as opposed to the salesy type language. And one very simple suggestion I have for, for salespeople is especially new ones, is that you really have to be others focused. I know that sounds idealistic and a cliche, but, but it absolutely is true. We can't start with our product or service and say, how am I going to sell this? I suggest that before every call at the beginning of the day, you look at who am I going to be talking to here and why might they possibly be interested in what we have? And going through the smart calling process, that means, again, doing the research online, offline, doing social engineering, talking to other people in the organization so that I can find out where, where are some possible needs or pains or problems so that I can come in with a, I call it a possible value proposition, because we never know what's going to be a value until we actually speak to somebody, right? Because we, we can't engineer value in, they can only extract it out. So we, we go in with a, this is a big word for me, hypothesis of value. <laughs> and that is, this may be of some interest to them. They may be interested in prospecting training because I need, I, I, I know that they need new logos because I see some of their posts on LinkedIn and so on. And, and then I start with the premise, okay, so why might they be interested? I'm going to start with that as opposed to, I'm going to pitch them on my prospecting two-day workshop. No. And then we validate these things through our carefully planned questions. And then, and here, here's something else. I suggest that the best salespeople uh, not only are prepared for the answers they want to get to their questions, they're prepared for all of the answers they don't want to get. Those are the ones we should be prepared for. Uh, and again, going back to the framework in improv. And that's how we can sound natural, conversational, and like a human as opposed to a robotic salesperson that nobody wants to talk to. Oh, that was some juicy stuff, Art. Thank you. That was great. Awesome. Good stuff. Yeah, definitely listening. And, and, and Gina, with her improv training that she does so very well, it's, it's so crucial to not be always thinking of that next question you're going to ask or the next thing that you're going to say. And it, it is really is a hard skill. Like I have to actually like take physical notes while someone's talking because I will sit there and be like, Oh, I'm going to say this next. Oh, I'm going to say this next. I'm going to ask them this instead of continuing to listen until they're really done talking so that I can really hear what they are saying. It's definitely a skill to practice. For practice, sure. practice, practice. Yeah. All right, Art, are you ready for the signature questions? 
Okay. Let me, you can do let me this. buckle up here. Not so bad, but the first one, the first one is the best one. So how would you define the word sexy? Sexy. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I guess I would define it like uh, the, the late Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart defined obscenity. I know it when I see it. Uh, that, that's the easy answer. <laughs> but the, more, the more in-depth answer is it, it, it's not just appearance. I mean, let's face it, I mean, in, in our society, first impressions are normally made by appearance. But for me, it's the total package. It's somebody that is uh, intelligent, somebody that is funny, somebody that is confident and carries themselves well. I mean, my entire career, for the most part, I've worked with people using the phone. And I very rarely had ever seen somebody in person or, or, or on screen before I sold them. And we had numerous conversations. And uh, I could tell by speaking to some people that, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that is a sexy person just based on what I was hearing. And, you know, maybe it was that deep voice like you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, it's, uh, I, I don't know if I'm ducking the question here, but, but it really is. <laughs> It's, it's the total package, and it's not just appearance. I mean, appearance comes into play, but the, 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 there's just so many things involved. And, and somebody uh, who maybe we're not attracted to by initial appearance, we can become very sexy based on getting to know them, watching them, uh, yeah. hearing them, interacting. So. Love it. That There's was me. awesome, Art. That's I great. know. I'm pretty sure I've never heard. We haven't had anybody talk about the fact that you can tell if someone is sexy just by talking to them on the phone, like that they're confident, they're funny, yeah. they're, they're intelligent. I mean, heck there was a whole industry like in the nineties was pick up the phone. Like, <laughs> are, are you talking about 900 numbers? Is that yeah. But I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a certain intrigue to that though. You make a really good point art that when we, a lot of people, when we ask them that question, it's immediately like when you physically encounter a person, but it's not necessarily that at all. You, it, the phone, as you have illustrated in this podcast today, art is such a powerful tool that you can come across as a very, uh, a, a confident, intelligent, funny, and valuable entity to the person on the other end of the phone. It's really great. Good answer. Absolutely. So next question, what's the best advice you've ever been given, Art? Well, you know, I think that evolves over time. And I'm going to share something that actually I, I just learned or heard a few years ago. And, and I've had coaches my entire life. I mean, I've invested a lot of money, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in, in coaching in, in a variety of different areas, personal development and marketing and sales, of course. And just recently, uh, Jim Fortin, who's a transformational coach, works on mindset. He talks about how everything is just a thing. And that kind of goes back to what I've been saying for a long time about rejection. And too many people get all worked up on something that happens, like getting cut, in, cut off in traffic or, or getting a no, or I mean, even take something major like an illness. 
you, you look at it and go, okay, you know what? That's just a thing. And something else he says is that and nothing has meaning until I give it meaning. And everything that's going on around us every single day of our life, every single minute is our interpretation of, of what's what's going on. And we are in total control of our interpretations. And you know, if somebody's having a bad day, they're getting bit out of shape, it's because they're interpreting it that way. So something happens, you just look at it and go, yeah, somebody cut you off in traffic. Somebody might say, oh, that idiot, you know, road rage comes to mind. Or you could say, wow, that person's in a hurry, or I wonder why they're in a hurry. And it, it totally changes your, your outlook on life. So everything is just a thing. That is awesome. Everything is just a thing. It's so true. Oh, that sounds like the title of this show. <laughs> this, this, could, this could be the episode title. Ta-da. <laughs> and last question, Art, what advice do you wish you had been given? Well, I'm, I'm very grateful in that I've had a, a long and, and great career. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I would do a whole lot differently but I think I probably would have done a little bit better if I thought bigger earlier in my career. And again, I know that that's a cliche, but it, it is so true. Uh, it's true in sales. It's true in life because for salespeople, it takes just as much, normally just as much effort to go after a bigger sale or ask for a bigger sale than it does a, a small one. And you're going to yeah. get, I mean, exponential rewards. So, I mean, starting out, if, if I would have thought a little bit bigger, maybe gone after some bigger things, probably would have done a little bit better, um, a little bit sooner. But again, no, no regrets. 37-year overnight success. <laughs> I love it. I love it. If people want to uh, get more of you, what is the best way to connect with you, reach out to you, get your book, all the things? I would say go to my actually blog site. We're going to be transitioning everything over to that, which is simply smartcalling.com, smartcalling.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. If you do, please personalize your message. I've got a, a pet peeve there. So personalize your message. Uh, tell me that you heard us on this wonderful podcast and, and what you liked about it. I love that. And when I was on your show, uh, several people reached out to me on LinkedIn and personalized the message that they heard me on your show. Great. Good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About. We hope that you feel you feel good after this and it wasn't as scary as you thought going in. <laughs> Relieved. And it was. You guys made it so easy and so much fun and time just flew and I can see why you guys are as successful as you are. Aw, thanks, Art. Aww. Thank you for being on the show. And thank you, Warners, for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. And for more information about the show, you can go to womenyourmotherwarnedyouabout.com and um, all the socials. Uh, anything else, Rachel? What did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> and be sure to check out salesgravy.university for all kinds of fantastic courses and workshops on how to improve yourself in sales, including some really great ones that Gina hosts. 
including spontaneous selling and what to say when you don't know what to say. Both very fantastic. And I have taken both and love them. And if you would be so kind to leave us a review at iTunes, it helps us to spread the info and the love to more peeps. Oh, I just remembered when this episode comes out, you'll still have a chance to sign up for the next What to Say When You Don't Know What to Say, October 14th. So I had to put that plug in there. And with that being said, we're out of here. Bye, Art. Bye, Rachel. Bye, Warners. This really will get serious soon. Yeah, don't. It doesn't have to. I don't think anybody wants it to be serious.